Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. You're listening to the Fly the W670 podcast, season two, episode 25. David Ross and the Bunt in this segment. Crawley interviews Andy Martinez of Marquee Sports Network. Joining me now on the Fly the W podcast, we have beat writer for Marquee Sports Network, Andy Martinez. You've read his work. You've seen him on the Marquee Network. How are you doing tonight, Andy? I'm doing well. How are you? Thank you for having me on. Oh, absolutely. Lo- love seeing you and love reading your work. You know, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on, other than, again, I like your work, is that you wrote an article a few days ago about the Cubs' long-term plans for Chris Morrell. And I'm sure you're probably smiling a little bit here because, oh my God, is the drumbeat loud of fans that want Chris Morrell up to Chicago. And it's easy to see why, right? He's he's a fun-loving, enjoyable guy. Right, yeah, and that's, that's, I mean, the the clubhouse the aura around the team is so much better when he's around there's no doubt about that i mean he's always smiling he's he's always happy he's always just exuberant when he's around i've never not seen him smile um there's been even time it, this this sounds so weird but there's even been times in the clubhouse after a loss where he'll at least give you a, like a little smirk like hey how's it going um which you know is is not too common amongst a lot of players some of the when they, when they lose a lot of players are upset but Chris finds a way to, to give out a smile, even, even in, in tough times. So yeah, I mean, he, his, his presence is, is definitely missed uh, at the big league level, but there was, there's a reasoning for why they, why they decided to, to option him down to Iowa to start the year. Yeah. And you, you had a chance to talk to Jed Hoyer. What what Jed have a chance? What, what did he say to you about why Chris Morrell did not make the team? Yeah. So the big thing that Jed mentioned and, and David Ross mentioned it too. And I talked to a couple of people with the team too, that also mentioned it's just, comes down to playing time, right? It does no good if he's playing one one day a week, maybe at right field. If he's pinch hitting three days later uh, against a against a lefty, maybe even a tough lefty, that that doesn't really benefit anyone, right? It, it, he has no chance to find his rhythm. It, 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 I think it's easy to get almost blinded by his start when he first got up to the major leagues. Well, he was so good, and every time he was up there, it just seemed like he was going to get a hit. It seemed like every game he was going to go two for four, two for five with with a double or a home run. Like it just seemed like he was just going to have a ton of success. But later on in the season, he really, really struggled, especially the last two months of the year. I believe he hit like around 183 over the last two years. The league figured him out. He was striking out a lot. There was a lot of weaknesses in his swing that that teams found and exploited. And so the thing became is okay. He's got to figure these out and he's got to improve that. That's not a, a bad thing that he has those flaws. Every player comes up and and has those flaws unless you're, you know, superstar sort of like Juan Soto or someone like that. But uh, we're not putting Christopher Morell and Juan Soto uh, together yet in the same boat. But the thing with him is, is trying to figure out those swings, and he's not going to get that if he's playing 
every fifth day, every sixth day, once every other day, maybe one at bat every every week. So for him and for the Cubs' long term success, it made the most sense to to option him down in Iowa, kind of play a little bit all over the field, kind of like he did with the Cubs last season. But more importantly, get those regular at bats where he can figure out some of the the things in his mechanics, some of the weaknesses in his game, and, and improve on that so that. There's going to be injuries. There's going to be poor performances that the Cubs have when they do call upon him. They know that they're getting more closer to the, the the player that they saw the first two months when he was at the big leagues compared to the player that they saw the last two months in the big leagues. Yeah, I remember he had this on base streak that was just like 24, 25 games. He hit the yeah. home run in his first game, and everyone gets excited. And then, as you point out in the article, he slashes one sixty three, two thirty eight, three forty with sixty two strikeouts in fifty five games. Right, fifty starts. I mean, that, that's the thing is that you, you kind of love him so much because of what you're talking about. I saw a spring training game this year where it was pouring. I think it was against the Reds. And he's yeah. literally signing autographs for all the people that are in the stand yeah. instead of running to the bus. But, but if people want him to be successful, especially in the long term, this is not a bad idea. And I think what – I don't know if you know who talked to Chris about it, but you mentioned in the article there's a lot of players that were up and then had to go back down, right? Right. That's the thing. It's the thing about the Cubs that almost gets in a way overlooked is just how they deepen their, their roster from, from top to bottom pitching side and, and, and on the, uh, on the hitting side that it kind of forced this move that Christopher Morrell had to be optioned down at the beginning of the offseason. If you would have said Christopher Morrell is going to start the season in Iowa, you would have thought, Oh man, he had a really bad spring or the, the, the Cubs, signed all these different like they signed all four shortstops or something like that that they just required like you didn't think that Christopher Morrell going to Iowa at the start of the offseason was a real thing but then as the move started happening you're starting to do the the, the quick math and the, the the quick roster projections in your head and you're like all right well Trey Mancini that, that like he can play in the outfield and he can play first base he can DH all right Eric Hosmer he can play first base he can DH and you're starting to get all these additions and, and I think especially when Edwin Rio signed it it be kind of became a thing where it's like okay like where is Christopher Morrell going to fit that it, 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 there's no logical fit on the roster outside of that super utility bench role, which is great. And and he would have been the Cubs natural backup at, at almost every position except for first base and catcher. But again, that doesn't, that doesn't help him. And it doesn't help the Cubs if he's, if he's not playing regularly. You know, yeah, and, and again, this has happened. Ian Happ, I, you remember how yeah. upset he was when he got called down, and, and you know what? He made the adjustments, and now he's an all-star. It's not like it can't happen. Uh, right. People forget Kyle Schwarber was sent back down. Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing is I, I talked to, to someone with the, with the Cubs coaching staff, and they told me they, they talked to him, and they said, hey, listen, this isn't the end of the world. Nico Horner was optioned in, in 2021 to start 2021. Look who he is now. Ian Happ, you mentioned him, Kyle Schwarber. Players get optioned. I don't want to say all the time, but they do get optioned, but it's not the end of the world, right? Like players can come, you can get option, you can come back up. And and the onus is on him to kind of prove to the Cubs that, hey, hey, you you made a mistake. Like that those last two months of the season were were a fluke. They weren't who I am. Like this is who I am. That's the onus on him. And and I know it's first at bat or, or first game in Iowa, he hits a home run. So it's kind of, it's kind of like he's already pushing, pushing the envelope in, in a way. But that's the thing is – the option, I think you you there's such a big deal about the opening day roster. And, and David Ross talked about this. Jed Hoyer talked about this. Where guys try to like you want to be on the opening day roster. And and you've been you've been to opening day. I've been to opening day. Like we know how special opening day is for sure. Like there is the the aura of being on at opening day. But the reality of the situation is, someone like Christopher Morrell, 
someone like Nelson Velasquez, guys like that are eventually going to work their way up in Chicago just because, like I mentioned, there's going to be injuries that happen. There's going to be guys that struggle. There's going to be double headers where they need to call up some like there's there's so many things that that happen throughout the course of a, of a full 162 game season that this isn't the the end of the world for christopher morell or cubs fans who who, who love christopher morell like christopher morell will, will be up in chicago at some point this season yeah so it's funny we actually went down we went to opening day it was my 23rd opening day that i went to and uh and then we went we woke up the next day on friday and drove straight to iowa to go see the i cubs and they crushed yeah. the columbus clippers 11 to 5 you know but it was weird because i see morale he's on the field he's playing catch but there's almost part of you that kind of realize you know like like you said opening day 35 36 000 people sometimes 40 right. as opposed to iowa which is cold and they were having the final four women's game and you know it's not the same thing man but you know, he put his head down. He went two for four. He had two RBIs. I mean, looking good. But the main thing for him is cutting down on the strikeouts, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing is the strikeouts are, are, are the bugaboo, especially with, with the way that the Cubs offense is constructed where it's, it's, it's okay if you have some strikeout with this Cubs lineup because the, the, the natural trade-off when you have a lot of strikeouts is usually you have a lot of power. Christopher Morrell wasn't having in those last two months where he struggled, they only had seven home runs. Right. So the, the power wasn't offsetting the the strikeouts. I think the guy we turn to all the time is Patrick wisdom, right? The, the strikeout rate seems astronomically high, but the trade-off is you're going to get 25 to 30 home runs, which you'll take that if the strikeout rate is, you know, 30% or so, like you'll take that when you're in Christopher Morrell's case, where I, I, I have to double check the numbers, but it was, really really high strikeout was i was higher than 30 percent, and the home run rate wasn't there the, the trade-off doesn't make sense so fixing the fixing the strikeouts and, and adding power adding more contact that will help him become a more well-rounded player and really benefit the cubs because as we've seen the, the the lineup isn't constructed as it was in the past where it's it's you you might have a chance to go six guys straight hit a home run like this lineup is constructed on single double base hit knock bloop single like just just they're not going to be hitting a ton of home runs. So, so having that, the ability to not swing and miss is huge in this lineup because that's, that's how they're going to generate offense this year. Now I know there's so much value because Christopher, like you said, he can play all over the diamond. He can play infield, he can play outfield, but you know, when you look at the Cubs and, and where they, they kind of sit right now, I mean, honestly, like I'd say out of all the spots where, okay, so we know up the middle is pretty solid, you know, yeah. you, you know, you know, Suzuki's going to be in right field. Hap is another question, but you know, you got a bunch of guys down in Iowa and Tennessee banging on the door. Like to me, I feel like third base is really a spot. Do you think that there's going to be a focus for Christopher to be playing third base, or do you think they're just going to continue to keep kind of moving him around and that's where his value is going to be? I mean, I think there's there is value to to moving him around. Jed Hoyer even mentioned someone like Chris Bryant, where he had a ton of value early on in his career, and then even his last season in Chicago, where they could play him at third base, they can play him at left field, they could play him at right field. I think he even played a little center field, and, and he can play first base. So like, there's there's value in having guys that can do that. And, and Christopher Morrell has shown that he can do that effectively, right? It's not like you're putting him out there and you're like, ooh, I don't know how we're what we're gonna get out of third base defense this this week or this, or this game because of because Christopher Morrell's like you know you're gonna get solid defense. You know you're going to get solid defense in, in, in at second base or, or shortstop or, or in the corner outfields. Center field's got to prove improve about, upon a little bit, but I, I think that'll come with more repetition. It was interesting because David Ross mentioned when uh, I think it was right around opening day, maybe it was the day, second day of the season. I can't remember exactly when, but it was near the beginning of the season. 
he, he mentioned Christopher Morell and like, what was the focus of, of playing time? And he mentioned, well, there's a lot of outfielders in Iowa. So, you know, probably moving around the infield more. And I believe his first start was in the outfield in Iowa. So it's like, Oh, okay. Like he's still <laughs> going to be moving around. Like they're going to find, they're going to find places to, to move around. I think there is value in having that kind of player. We see it even at the, the, the big league level where like all right, Trey Mancini, for example, he can play right field. He can play first base. Miles Mastroboni can play kind of all over the place and, and they have value in there. Nick Madrigal now can play third base and, and, and second base. So the Cubs clearly value the ability to be able to, to have players that can move around. The other thing too is like late in games, if they're going after chasing a run, having someone that, okay, you can pinch hit and you can kind of move things around and still have a good defense is, is pretty valuable. So I think Christopher Morrell, the long answer, yes, third base probably maybe makes the most sense. But at the same time, I think there's a lot of value for for him and for, for the Cubs to be able to play all over and not pigeonhole him to one position. And I, and I think that there's just like a lot of Cubs angst over five games. You know what I mean? We right, haven't played right. a week worth of games and, and and the pitchforks are out for and the, and the torches are out for Miles Mastrobuani, who... You know, I know people were upset at that little bloop, but I mean, that was a really hard play when the wind's blowing in. It's like, oh, dive. You don't realize that, you know, that ball's doing all sorts of tricks on you. It's really tricky. And, and you know, there's no saying that Christopher Morrell would have gotten that or not. It's, it's give the guy a chance. And, and again, let Christopher Morrell develop because it is hard to, like you said, without consistent at bats. And think about this. Think about the, the pitchers that they faced in that first series. When you're talking about Corbin Burns, when you're talking about Brandon Woodruff and Lauer and stuff like that, it, it's it's difficult to learn against those type of pitchers. Those are the best of the best. Right. Yeah. Like, the, uh, imagine they call him up and you're like, you, we think he can improve on his struggles. And then he faces Brandon Woodruff and strikes out Corbin Burns and strikes out. It's like, okay, like, he probably didn't figure it out because he's facing so, two of the best hitters. Like, or two of the best pitchers, excuse me, in baseball. Like it, it, it's it's better to ha- have those flaws or, or work on those flaws, excuse me, against AAA pitching, against pitching that it can control. Because the fact of the matter is, guys like Brandon Woodruff, guys like Eric Lauer, even had they faced uh, Hunter Green at the, in the series finale against Cincinnati, like those guys aren't going to help you. Like those are anomalies in the sense that like those are the tip top of, of the game. You're not going to learn anything by by going up against them. Um, to your point, though, yeah, like the, the Miles Mastroboni play was an interesting one because he mentioned after the game, like he that's a learning experience for him. And and he thought that he he thought it was going to drop further away from him than it actually did. If, if that makes sense, like he, he didn't think he could die for it. He realized like after the fact, like he could have dove for it and maybe had a play on it. But that's that's kind of like you don't call up Christopher Murrell for that one play. Right. Like you don't say, oh, like that one play trades off the the five strikeouts he would have had in that situation like that that's not how it works and and clear, like yes it would have maybe helped them win that one game but would it have helped them win multiple games or would it have helped him improve his game in the long term that's to be determined and, and I think the Cubs are banking on the fact that in Iowa while if theoretically if you really want to really pretzel brain yourself around like that Christopher Murrell could have made that one play if, if he was available or on the bench or anything like that. Like, I don't know if that, that uh, the trade-off is worth him striking out five times and, 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 and not getting regular at-bats. Right, and how many games is it going to cost you if he can't perform offensively? Right. So, yeah, there, there's a trade-off. Now, I did get to see you out in Arizona, which was awesome. When yeah. you were out there, what was the thing to you that kind of most struck out when you kind of stuck out when you kind of watched that team? And what were some things that impressed you the most from being out in Arizona? So the, the the big thing was defense, right? And and we heard it all off or all off season and all spring. It's like defense, defense, defense. And you're like, okay, like 
whatever. And I remember watching uh, infield outfield drills on, I believe it was like the first day of full team workouts. And I'm like, wow, like that. Okay. Like that's, that looks really good. But I'm also like, all right, let me, let me tone it back. Like it's infield outfield drills. Like it's very controlled environment. There's nothing on the line. Like it doesn't really mean anything. And then that, that one of the, the last few games of spring training where Dansby Swanson's making incredible play after incredible play and Nico Horner's making nice plays. Like, it's like, okay, like that, that makes sense. And then you think about the pitching that they have, right? Someone like Marcus Stroman, where his he's, he's most successful if, if the ball's on the ground, if that sinker is, is, is working down and away uh, on, on lefties and, and down uh, against righties, like the, to put the ball in play, having those, that defense with the shift, like all of this is, are so cliche. And I like almost hate myself for saying all these cliches, but it, it's so true. Like you, you have good defense that could field the ball and, and, and take away outs. That's really valuable. One of the things that I think the biggest takeaway from, from last season with the pitching was like the pitching was good at times, but the defense wasn't that great. And, and if you think about it, like if, if a pitcher makes a great, a great play and you have average defense that doesn't convert that, that ground ball into an out. Okay. That's an extra five, six, seven, eight pitches to get another guy out. And if you do that even two times throughout the course of a game, that's like 16 to 20, 15 to 20 pitches that that's theoretically an inning, right? So like, instead of going six innings or seven innings, now you're going four or five innings. Like, that doesn't benefit anyone, uh, and it, it, it taxes your bullpen, which the bullpen was was solid last year. But if you're having to turn to your bullpen in the fourth, fifth inning, like that's that's not good. This year, like the 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 hope is, and and we've seen it at times, especially those first two games with Seal and and, and Stroman, like the 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 defense will help and and the pitching will will work. That you can go deeper into games and and you can kind of not have to burn your bullpen and and have it catch up to you two or three days later. Well, Andy, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Always love your work. Where where would our listeners be able to find you on social media and where would they be able to read your stuff? Yeah, so you can read everything on marqueesportsnetwork.com and you can follow me on Twitter at amartinez underscore 11. All right, Andy, I hope to see you around the ballpark soon. Thank you for jumping on and we'll see you again in the future, all right? Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it.